to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. On through our study of the book of Galatians in the series I've entitled Unshackled, and uh, we are coming to a close. We are very close to ending the book, and has it been helpful for anybody? I, I know for me, man, it's been incredibly helpful, uh, just reminding me of the grace of God, that without the grace of God, we are literally hopeless, but because we have the grace of God, we have hope. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The grace of God is sufficient. Paul said, your grace is sufficient. No matter what goes on in your life, no matter how weak you might feel, his grace is sufficient. And I've been reminded of that as we have gone through this book here. Uh, Paul is, we came to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, and we looked at that over the past couple weeks, and uh, it really is the summary of the book, I think. I think if you were going to put the whole book of Galatians into one verse, it would be chapter 5 verse 1 that says this, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is what the entire book of Galatians is about. It's about freedom. It's about the idea that, that Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his blood, his life, his death, his resurrection, that he has unshackled you from the prison of the law, which produces condemnation, which ultimately is eternal separation from God. Jesus Christ has set you free, and he wants you to remain free in that. And so he's reminding us that in no way, shape, or form are we ever to turn back to the law as a means of righteousness. He's speaking to believers. Therefore, he's speaking to you. If you were in Christ this morning, he's speaking directly to you, saying, be careful that you don't ever turn back to the law as a means of righteousness, as if you can make yourself righteous through do's and don'ts. And it's, and it's you know, we know that theologically we understand that. But practically, we mess it up. We, do it, we, we, we fall back into these do's and don'ts and these little rules that we make in our walk with the Lord thinking that this is how we're going to find righteousness. We become very works-based. And if, if you don't think that you're works-based in some way, shape, or form, look at your life again because you are in some way. God is, you know, you're, you're trying to, to, to become more godly by something you're doing rather than just trusting in the grace of God. It happens. And so the book of Galatians just reminds us once again that we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we cannot be righteous. And therefore, through Christ and remaining in Christ is where we find our righteousness. We have to remain in Christ. That's why Paul said, he gave us these two commandments, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm in your faith, in the grace of God. Do not, again, that was the do, to stand firm. The don't is this. Don't submit again to yoga slavery. If you want to follow some rules, there they are. You know, do this, submit, or do this, stand firm in your faith. Don't do this, submit again to the yoke of slavery, speaking about the law. Don't do these things. In verses 2 through 12, um, or 2 through really kind of 15 that we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us, he, he gives us an example of what a free person looks like. He says, okay, you've been set free, now here's what a free person looks like. Here's what they look like, and he he, he sums it all up in verse 6, 
all of those verses summed up in verse 6. This is what he's saying. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor ardent circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Our entire lives are meant to be lived um, by faith through love. And Paul says that is the only thing that counts for anything. It's the only thing worthy. You know, what you do outside on the outside body literally is worthless if there's no inside connection. That's what he said. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or don't read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much you pray or you don't pray. What matters is what's going on in the inside. It's, it's about faith. It's about faith working through love. Listen, this is the summary of the Christian life. When you come to Christ, now your life is lived out by faith through love. It's the entire premise of the Christian life summarized in three words. Faith through love. That's it. No law at all. Faith through love. In fact, Jesus would say that if we were, if we, it's through love that we fulfill the law, right? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. In so doing, you fulfill all of the law, right? So, so the idea is if we just live our lives very simply by the premise of faith through love, we will do all the right things. We won't divert from the path. We will stay steadfast. But the problem is we mix works into it. We start to mix works into it, and then we start to get self-focused, and then we start to fail. And that's the problem. And that's what uh, he, he's telling these, these believers in uh, Galatia here. He's telling them, listen, just live by faith through works, through, through love, and your works will come, Right? He, he, he wrote in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You don't produce the works. Christ produced the works. You simply fulfill them how? By faith through love. By faith through love. Your entire Christian life, by faith through love. If you try and do it outside of that, then you will fail. If, we, if, we, if the flesh attempts to work itself out by deed through law, it is a prescription for bondage. That's all it is. It's a noose around your neck. Literally, Paul says it's a yoke on you. We don't want the yoke. We don't want to be in bondage. Christ set us free. So there are many, many people that live their lives under this, this, this kind of premise or this guise of that they are free, but they're not free at all. They're in bondage. Uh, of the law of, of self-righteousness, and they're trying to make their way to God, and the Lord says, and, and it's, a simp, it's just a bondage. Now, not only does it bring bondage in our life, but if you try and reach God by the law, you will inherently, and listen to this, become selfish. You will inherently become selfish. If you try and live your life by the law, by do's and don'ts, the only person you will focus on is yourself. You will, you will disregard everyone else and you will say, it's all about me. I have to focus on me. I've got to do this and this and this and this. Listen, I got enough trouble trying to keep myself on track. If I start to do that, I have to get inward. The law in, inherently causes us to go inward. The gospel inherently causes us to go outward. Which way does Christ want you to live? Outward. But if you're trying to live by the law, you're going to be living inward. 
You're going to be 100% focused on you. And as we learned last week, Paul said, no. No, no. That, that's not the call for the Christian. The Christian is supposed to be outward. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to serve each other. We're supposed to love each other. We are not to focus on, um, you know, do's and don'ts because they make, us self, they make us selfish people. Grace makes you selfless. Grace makes you selfless because you're getting what you don't deserve. You know, if you're a person that understands grace and that you're a recipient of grace, man, you feel like the luckiest person in the world and you want everybody else to experience the very same thing. Because you're like, man... I got what I didn't deserve. And let me tell you, you can have it too because it's grace and God is a God of grace and he wants to give you grace. That's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is to make us free so that we can tell other people that they can be free too. That's the whole point. Tim Keller said it like this. Freedom is blessed self-forgetfulness. Freedom is blessed self-forgetfulness. What is he saying? He's saying... That, the, the, you know, the law makes us inward, but freedom in Christ makes us outward. It causes us to focus on everything else except for ourselves. We are servants. We're serving. We're too focused on serving to serve ourselves. We're too focused on, you know, giving out the gospel, giving the grace of God to people that we, we, we aren't so focused on ourselves. We are truly free when we when we are selfless. That is when, if you want a litmus test on whether you're free or not, here it is. How focused on yourself are you? How focused on you are you? That's the litmus test on whether you're free or not. The goal of the gospel is to bring you and I to an utter selflessness, to a place where we are completely and totally focused on Christ and those whom he loves. That is the focus of the Christian life. That is the ultimate destination that the gospel will take a believing saint to self-forgetfulness. Now, how do we allow the gospel to transform us to this end? Like, how do we get there? Where's the roadmap? How do, how do we get to that place of self-forgetfulness? Well, you're in luck. Paul tells us in the rest of chapter 5. He tells us exactly how to do it. It's an amazing Amazing portion of scripture, one that I think, um, you know, you, you probably know, and yet one that we, we disregard often. And so stand with me real quick. We're going to read uh, verses 16 through 26, and we're going to look at this passage together. What does, how do I get to this place of self-forgetfulness? Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing these things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for this incredible roadmap that helps us get to the place of blessed self-forgetfulness where we are utterly poured out before you as servants, walking in the good works that Christ created for us to walk in before we were even born. Today, Lord, we pray that you would help us as Christians to hear your word, that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us individually, God, that you would just help us to arrive at the right conclusion. As Paul spoke about last week, we put our confidence in you, in your word, in your Holy Spirit, and in your son today, not in ourselves. And we ask you to just move mightily in this, in this place today and that you would set those free that are not free, but who think they're free. Lord, help us, remind us, move in and amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I've entitled this message this morning, The Recipe for Remaining Free. The Recipe for remaining free. If you notice what Paul says here, the very first thing he tells us is it's about the Spirit of God. The entire section of Scripture is about the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not about the law. It's not about what you're doing or what you're not doing. It's about who you're trusting or who you're not trusting. It's about who is empowering you and who is not empowering you. You know, if the Holy Spirit was given to us, Jesus said, He's our helper. He came to help us. He was given to us to help us to remain in the freedom that Christ set us free to enjoy. And so the Holy Spirit becomes the entire focus of the Christian and allowing him to reign in your life, to just give him the keys of your life and just say, Holy Spirit, take over. What often happens in a believer's life, though, is we become works-based in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're praying that he would do more, that, he, that what, what do I need to do more? What do I need to get rid of? How, what are my do's and don'ts, Holy Spirit, so that you can have more of me or I can have more of you? That is the wrong idea altogether. The, the reality that Paul will say here in, in these verses is that the, the whole thing boils down to this, a complete and total surrender to him. Complete and total surrender to the Holy Spirit. If you want to get to that place of, you know, blessed self-forgetfulness, if you want to remain free in Christ, you have to let go completely, 100%, and let the Holy Spirit live through you. Now, there's four specific things that Paul lays out here, you know, in relation to our, our you know, walking in the Spirit, our, the idea of living in the Spirit of God. And they're very simple. And, and these are the four things that if, you'll, if you just focus on these four things, you will be 100% successful. The first thing that Paul reminds us here is that we are to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. In verses 16 uh, and 17 here, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, anybody feel that? Is that any real for you? I mean, you understand, like, the, the, literally, like, the idea, what Paul just said here is, welcome to Fight Club, Christian. That's what it is. Welcome to Fight Club. I know that you didn't realize you joined, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton in that movie Fight Club, but you did when you signed up to become a Christian, and you are at war within yourself constantly. There is a battle within you between the Spirit of God and your flesh, and there is a war, and the reality is, Paul says, is that the Spirit is completely opposite of the flesh, and the flesh is completely opposite of the Spirit. There is no mixing. There isn't a little bit of flesh and a little bit of spirit. It doesn't work that way. It's either 100% spirit or 100% flesh. There is no mixing. Now, this is the dichotomy that, that is very interesting because from God's perspective, you know, theologically, positionally, we are 100% spirit because we're redeemed. We've been set free. Christ has paid the price. Our, our sins, past, present, future, are completely forgiven. God cast your sins as far as these is from the West, and he remembers them no more. So, you know, as far as God's concerned, he sees you this way. But practically speaking, the living out of the Christian life is in this war. We're in this war because Paul said it like this in Romans 7, we're trapped in this wretched man, this body of death. Like once we shed this, the, the flesh and we are completely and totally set free from this body, there is no war. But in the present state, if you're breathing right now, you are in a war because your, your, your old man, he wants to become alive and he wants to have reign. And he's warring against God's spirit. That's why you feel the tug constantly. Oh, man, that would really be awesome if I did that right now. But the Spirit says, no, no, you shouldn't do that. That's against God's word. What do you think you're doing? And no, but I really want to do that. And you have this conversation in your mind. You know, we have the proverbial, you know, devil and the angel on the shoulder. That's the idea. That's what's happening in our lives constantly. Every decision we make is, is you know, we're going back and forth between the Spirit and the flesh. Which one should I choose? Which one should I walk in? The, the, the idea of walking in the Spirit that Paul talks about here. It's a present tense verb that is an action in continual form. So he, what he's saying is continue to walk in the Spirit. Continually walk in the Spirit. Remain in the Spirit. Don't ever depart the Spirit. You need to walk continually. It's not a one-time thing. Like you, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you have to Think about walking in the Spirit. You have to take action to walk in the Spirit. And Jesus said, you know, you'll do it in, in this way. You deny yourself through denying the flesh. Paul said, I beat my body into submission. Well, we don't do that in the power of the flesh. We do that in the power of the Spirit. And it's through walking in the Spirit. And, and Paul wants us to get that, that we need to understand that, that it is a continual thing. Now, um, this war that wages within you, is, is never going to go away until you shed the body. It will never go away. And so how do, we, um, how do we fight this war? How do we fight this war? What did I just say? The, 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 the three-word premise of the entire Christian life is summarized in. Faith through love. How do I fight this battle within me? Faith through love. That's what you just got done saying. 
It's never law. But how do we often try and fight the battle? Through law. Oh, man, i got to walk in the Spirit more. I guess I need to pray more. I better start fasting. I better get anointed. I better do this. I better do that. Wait a second. How did you get the Spirit? It was by faith. How do I walk in the Spirit? It's by faith. By faith through love. You don't do it on your own. You, you, you know, you don't start to, and, and we are, it's a difficulty for us because we have this tendency to try and get more of the Spirit through works of the law. By self-denial, by, you know, uh, adding good things into our lives, by, you know, just willpower, you know. No, that's not how it works. If you want to walk by the Spirit, you have to walk in faith. You have to trust God that he will, he will just give you the ability to do it. Why is it then that we choose the flesh so often times when, when that battle happens? Why, why do we choose the flesh so often? Because the flesh screams the loudest. That's why. The flesh screams the loudest. Anybody who has ever battled any kind of level of addiction, I don't care whether it's nicotine or, you know, whether it's pornography, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's, you know, gossip, whatever it is that you, you, you know, whatever form of, of addiction that you may have experienced in your life or are experiencing, you know, you know the battle. And you know how easy it is to just succumb to the flesh. Why? Because it screams the loudest. It seems way more tangible in my life. If I only do this, it will be, I'll just be satisfied, and it's a lie from the pit of the hell. It is a lie. Your flesh will never be satisfied. It will just scream louder the next time. And when it's not satisfied, it'll scream louder the next time. And so, we, there, and then, then there's this, the Spirit of God in our lives, which is this still small voice. That's just saying, you have the power to choose to follow. You have the power to choose to follow. You have the power to resist the sin. You have a way of escape, the Bible says. You, you have everything you need for life and godliness within you. Now you walk in it. You choose to walk in it. You're already empowered to do it. We don't need more power. We need to simply walk actively in the power that we've been given by faith through love. Very simple, but very difficult. If you've ever tried to go on a diet, you know how hard that is. The, the first, you know, everybody's bodies are different, right? But, but eventually, I don't care if it's the first hour you're on your diet or three days into it where your body starts to just, just lash out at you, you know, just starts to scream at you, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? You, I need food. Give me food and fat. Give me all kinds of carbs. I need more. You know, and what's funny is when you're trying to, you know, be self-controlled in that and, and you're doing it in yourself, how difficult it is. And no matter how much you eat, you're not satisfied. So you give in to that temptation and you're like, I ate like 16 Reese's cups, you know, and I need more. You know what I mean? It, that's the way our bodies are. And, and that is the, very simply, the way that the flesh works. It will never be satisfied. I don't care how much you give it, it won't be enough. Because our flesh is at war with our spirit, with the, with the spirit of God within us. And, and what we're finding out in, in the book of Galatians here is you cannot live 
the Christian life by the flesh because you'll be giving in to all kinds of desires that are not godly. Paul says you have to walk in the Spirit or you will fail. That was the whole point of the law, by the way, was to show us that we couldn't do it in the flesh, that we needed a Savior, that we needed the grace of God so that we could walk in that. Listen, you might be able to conform for a period of time in your, your law-keeping, but it's only temporary. You will fail. And, and as we talked about last week, James says, if you fail at one point in the law, you're guilty of it all. You have 613 commands, 248 do's, 365 don'ts, and you have to keep them all every day, 100% of the time, or you fail in all of them. It's pass-fail. You can't do it. That was the whole point of him sending the law, so that we knew that we needed grace. So that we knew that, you know, so, so as Paul says here, so that we could understand that the things that we want to do, we don't do. It's the dichotomy of Romans chapter 7. The things that I, that I do, I don't want to do. The things that I'm not doing, I want to do. I don't understand why this is happening because you're trusting in your flesh. The apostle Paul knows the battle. He's been there. He's done it. And so, you know, thankfully, he gets to the point in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 1. He comes to the conclusion. Listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful flesh, Christ did. By giving himself up as a sacrifice, right? And now you are set free. This is summary, but you can look it up. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And now you are called to live free in the spirit and not the flesh. He came to the conclusion that it was by faith through love that he was called to live and not by by, by flesh, by the empowerment of the flesh. You can't do it. We are commanded to live holy and to love unconditionally throughout the scriptures. And in order for us to do that, we need God's Holy Spirit to enable us. We can't do this kind, we can't live this way in the flesh. Not only that, but also, as we read here, the Holy Spirit will also keep us from gratifying the, the desires of the flesh. We will reckon the old man dead. King James Version. Reckon the old man dead. Romans chapter 6, 11. We will keep the man down. We will not allow the old man to come back up if we're walking in the spirit. But we have to walk in it. It's not passive. It's active. We must do that. This is our sanctification, folks. This is how we are sanctified. To become more like Jesus is by walking in the spirit. Simply by walking in the spirit. I don't care how much you read the Bible. You could know it from cover to cover. If you're not walking in the Spirit, it won't have the power to be able to do what it needs to do in your life because it's powerless apart from the Spirit of God. You understand? It's going it's to endure forever, but the power is not in your ability to remember what it says. It's in the ability of the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life in every single moment, in every second. That's where the power is. It's in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that's why the Holy Spirit's coming so that he can remind you of all the things that I said so that the Spirit can convict us of sin so that he could, you know, move us into that place of freedom. He, that's why he came. And all we have to do is simply choose by faith through love 
to allow the Spirit to take control of our lives. What will you look like if you do that? One word, Jesus. You will look like Jesus. Isn't that the prayer? Lord, help me become more like Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit, and you'll become just like Jesus. You'll become exactly like him. Uh, If you're a believer, if you are in Christ, literally you have come to that place of bowing your knee, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you turned over your life to him in full surrender, confessed your sin, and you said, I'm, I'm yours for the rest of my life, uh, and he has given you the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. He's living with you. He's your helper, and he will give, enable you to, to do this. He will enable you to, to walk in the Spirit. If you want to remain free, you must walk in the Spirit. Secondly, you must be led by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. But if you're led, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is like our spiritual GPS in life, you know, but unlike the imperfect GPSs that we have today, which sometimes lead us astray, right? Like turn left into the lake. And you're just like, okay. You know, people do it. I don't understand. That is, um, that is what is called following blindly, right? Because uh, here's the thing is the Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. And if you say ever, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my whatever or to you know, get in an adulterous situation or to do, go gossip about somebody else, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. You know, the Holy Spirit will never lead us astray. He is our parakletos, our helper, our guide to godly living and the power to do so. Paul says this, if, that's a condition it's a condition. It's, it's a requirement for you to choose. If, if you are led by the Spirit, it's a question mark. There, are you or are you not? Are you led by the Spirit? Well, how do I know? We'll see in a second how exactly we know. It's by what we see on the outside, the, by our actions, by the things that we're doing. We'll know if we're led by the Spirit or not. But he said, if you are being led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, that means you're free, doesn't it? That means you're completely and totally set free because the Spirit is greater than the law. The Spirit will, you just naturally, through the empowerment of the Spirit, do all the right things. But it's not a do and don't thing. It's simply a love thing by faith. God, you're just making me more like Jesus every day, not by my own effort, but because I'm submitting to the Spirit and the Spirit is, is conforming me to the image of Christ. That's the way it works. You mean I don't have to do anything? No, listen to me. You will do all kinds of things unawarely of yourself when you're submitted to the Holy Spirit. You will just do these things. They will just begin to come natural to you as you surrender to the Holy Spirit and you let him lead you and you follow the path that he has you set on. You will naturally just begin to become like Jesus. You will naturally begin to just serve people. You will naturally be able, you know, 
you will naturally be kind to people. You will naturally love people because it's a supernatural thing happening, because the Holy Spirit is leading you. But if you are not led by the Spirit, then what? You're under the law. That's what he's saying. If, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Some people think they need to try harder through some form of legalism to give the Spirit more control. Not so. We just need to trust Him by letting go. He will change us from the inside out. So again, how do we know we're being led by the Spirit? By what's happening on the outside. And Paul goes on here in verses 19 through 21 to give us a list of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. If you're wondering if you're being led by the Spirit, let me just give you a, a not exhaustive list, by the way, but let me just give you a list of common things that you're going to struggle with the rest of your life. Okay, so, so this is very practical, and it's meant to be very broad because there is no uh, temptation that is overtaking, which is, not common, which is common to man. Everybody struggles with the same things. That's what he's saying. And so here's the list. Now, it's interesting that he divided these, these sins into four categories. And uh, they are all dealing with pagan worship. Okay, they all have some relationship with Greek mythology and the worship of these gods. And so Paul says, okay, these guys are Greeks. The Galatian people are Greeks who are Christians. So let me speak in their language, which you're a Greek too, unless you're Jewish, which I don't know if you are or not. But if you're not, you're Greek, so whatever. But... Uh, you will struggle with these same things. And they're very prevalent even within the church today. The first category that he, he, he deals with is sexual sin. And he says this. He tells us that, um, you know, the works of the flesh are what? Sexual immorality. You know what that word is in the Greek? Pornania. You know what the word in the English is? Pornography. Okay, now, the idea, now, you, if you have a New King James or King James Version, it's going to say adultery, fornication. You know, the ESV translates this word into one single idea of sexual immorality. You know, you might read in the Bible, well, what about adultery, these things? These are all uh, covered under the term sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, pornania, is any kind of fornication that is outside a marriage relationship and outside the definitions of biblical marriage, i.e. marriage between a man and a woman. So the, the Bible calls anything outside of what God prescribes as relations in the Bible as sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if it's, a, it's an individual or two people or how many ever people it is. If it is outside the bounds and the prescription of relations in the Bible, it's called sexual immorality. And God cares about that. It's a, it's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the spirit. Listen, sex or relations or whatever you want to call it is, a, it's, a, it's a good God-given thing. It's what we call a common grace, okay? Food is a common grace. These are graces that God gives us that we get to enjoy, but we have to be careful with lest we take them out of context and make them sin. So sex is a, is a, is a good thing. God gave it to us, you know. We, it's something that we are to, you know, there's many, many reasons why we do it. Uh, there's not just one reason. But ultimately, let me tell you, it's all for the glory of God. It is all for the glory of God. But if you take it outside of the context of a biblical mandate of what that looks like, it's called sin. 
And Paul says it's a work of the flesh. Not only sexual immorality, but he, he goes on to say impurity, literally moral uncleanness. And the idea is the mind. And it's this, 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 the thoughts of sexual morality. It is the, the, the jokes that are made. It is the sexual innuendos that are made. That's what that's speaking about. Thirdly, he, he speaks about sensuality or licentiousness. This is open and excessive indulgence in sexual acts where there is no sin, no shame, and no restraint. It is debauchery. These are the three sexual sins that Paul describes, and these were all prevalent in worship of pagan idols in this day. He goes on next, and he lists two religious sins in particular to pagan worship. First is idolatry. This is involved with the worship of anything that substitutes itself for God and is treated like God. You might be surprised at what idolatry looks like in the 21st century. You might be surprised that it takes on the form of maybe a child, maybe the form of a material possession, maybe a job, maybe power, maybe, you know, whatever. It can be anything, literally. If you go to India and you see that how the Hindus worship, you recognize that they would call this a god. It's a remote. They, they would worship this thing, literally. They would decorate it up and they would worship it. I, I used to do business in India. They used to, you know, I'd go in there at certain times. They have hundreds of festivals throughout the year where they worship different things. And there was one particular time I was there. They were uh, worshiping their anything that gave them the means to make money. So they were worshiping this god called Ganapati. And so I went into an office, and they had uh, computer screens all decked out and you know, garland and, you know, these flowers and uh, uh, incense burning. And they had the, the little w whatever shrine of the, you know, the Ganapati. And they were worshiping their computer because it was, they had the capacity. That's how they made their living. People's cars, you know, if they were taxi drivers, were all dressed up. I mean, an idol can be anything. And so beware. It, we have to beware of idolatry. It's a work of the flesh. Secondly, sorcery. Now, you know, this word is interesting. It, in the Greek, it's pharmakia, which in the English translation is pharmacy. Pharmacy. The, I, what, what would happen uh, back in this pagan worship is that they would use potions and poisons, uh, drugs, to reach the spiritual realm, to engage in spiritual activity. And so, uh, you know, you, you can understand that there is a form of sorcery today, even in prescription drugs and various different things. You know, it's literally to use a substance to bring you under the control of someone else. That's the whole idea. And here's what I would say is that, you know, well, what about, what about legal stuff? What about alcohol? What about, you know, pot, if it's going to become legal, all this kind of stuff? If anything alters your mind, you are playing with fire. It's not something that you should do. It's not something that, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, it, it can be sin, but like, for instance, alcohol, it's legal. You know, can you have a beer and not be drunk? Yes. That's why the Bible permits alcohol. But the idea of smoking a substance or taking a pill, immediately when you do that, if it alters your mind, then you're not in control and you've opened yourself up. It's a type of sorcery. Are you worshiping the devil? You may not, not mean to be, but you know what? You've opened yourself up to potentially the spiritual realm, which I, I don't care to see personally. 
I'd just rather stay in my, my dimension, you know, and, and worship my God the way right here. I don't need to see that to know it's real. I know it's real. And in fact, anybody who's taken an acid trip or, or LSD or anything like that understands. You, you think those, 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 those things that you see aren't real, they're real. You don't think that's real? It's real. Who wants to mess around with that stuff, people? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. That scares the daylights out of me. Listen, the demonic realm is real. It's not something that you should, you know, be, be remotely, uh, you know, pursuing. You want to go to hotels and stay in places where they say there's ghosts? Not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. That would be to pursue the wrong thing. Sorcery. Listen, I, I'm not telling you what, you know, prescription drugs, what to take, what not to take, but I, all I will tell you is this. Be very careful about what you put in your body. Be very careful about what you put in your body. Uh, there are eight sins now that he lists that pertain to conduct towards each other. The first thing that he lists is enmity. It is a state of hostility and hatred towards another. It literally means to become an enemy of. Work of the flesh, strife, literally contention, wrangling, conflict, jealousies, a, a, a strong feeling of resentment towards someone else. How about this one? Fits of anger. The idea is to boil water. It is to become, it's a, a state of intense anger where, where the point of you just burst out in, 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 in anger. You're just out of control. It is in plural here, by the way, which conveys the meaning of a continual and uncontrolled behavior. It happens over and over and over again. And if you know anything about anger, you know how quickly it can come. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're not led by the Spirit, how that can overtake you and ruin relationships. Ruin relationships. Why? It's a work of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. Fits of anger. Not only that, but revelries, a feeling of resentment based on jealousy. I want what they have. Why don't I have what they have? I am going to do whatever I have to do to get what they have. Listen, this happens all the time in the business world. People willing to lie, cheat, steal, do whatever they have to do to get to the next rung on the ladder, right? It's, it's a work of the flesh, Paul says. Listen, you want to succeed in whatever it is that you're doing? Live out your life by faith through love. God will cause you to succeed. But don't try and work it out in your flesh because you'll fail. You'll end up falling into this. Dissensions, strong disagreements or quarrels that create opposition, which directly relates to the next one, which is divisions. This is disunity created as a result of dissension. Lastly, we find envy, a state of ill will towards someone because of a material or characteristic they possess. It's sad to note, but these are, many of these are what are called social sins in the, in the church today. They exist. They're prevalent. And they're hidden under the guise of being human. Oh, I'm just human. I'm sorry I blew up on you. I'm just human. Nobody's perfect, and you 
give yourself an excuse. No, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says this is fleshly, not human. This is fleshly. I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. I'm being led by the flesh. That's the problem. Nobody's perfect, though. True. Nobody's perfect, but don't give yourself that excuse. Don't give yourself that excuse. Listen, nobody's perfect, but God has given you His Spirit so that you can walk according to the Spirit, so that you can be led by the Spirit. Don't let yourself out of that. He goes on and he gives us these two final sins that are connected to ritual idolatry or ritual worship of pagan gods. The next is drunkenness, which is excessive use of wine or strong drink. Um, And then lastly is orgies. It is this state of drunken carousing or these parties that they would throw off and filled with sexual immorality as a form of worship. There was a god that the Romans worshipped named Bacchus, which was particularly infamous for uh, all kinds of immorality as people would worship him. This is not an exhaustive list either. Paul says, and things like these. And things like these. There, there are many, many other things. I don't, maybe yours wasn't on the list there. Maybe it was. You might feel like, hey, I, I fended pretty good on that list. I didn't really feel like I'd do any of that. Well, there's something. Because there's something here. He says, that, and things like these. So um, he goes on here and he says, what, what, what's the reality of a person who walks by the flesh? What, 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 what is somebody who exhibits the works of the flesh? Um, you know, what does he say? Pretty simple. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, don't judge me. You can't tell me what, what I, whether I'm a Christian or not a Christian. Well, I can tell whether you're walking in the spirit or whether you're walking in the flesh. That's for sure. And I can tell you what the Bible says about that. Is that okay? Is that judging? I don't think so. That's called uh, repeating the Bible. That's, that's called warning you. Paul said, I warn you. As I have warned you before. Those who practice. The idea is a habitual, uh, you know, engagement in these things over and over and over again with no regard to God's word. It doesn't mean somebody who stumbled in it. So don't, don't miss that. The idea of practicing this or the idea of, you know, of habitual in this is what Paul has in mind when he speaks about this. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying? They don't have the spirit in them. That's what he's saying. They're not saved. How do we know? Because whoever's in control on the inside comes outside. That's how we know. Am I led by the spirit? I don't know. Are you doing things that the spirit does? Are you walking like Jesus or not? If you're not, then you're not being led by the Spirit. If you're, you know, engaged in these things over and over again and you have no regard for what God's Word says, hey, God's Word says don't do this and you don't care. And by the way, it's not just homosexuality, which people like to single out and act like that is the unpardonable sin. That is not. Did you see the list? What about anger? What about, you know, what about... Gossip. What about some of these other things that we are socially acceptable in our churches, right? But they're not socially acceptable to God. Fits of anger will keep you out of heaven, folks. You know, this, all, all these, this list of things, envy, jealousy, strife, enmity, all of these things will keep you out of heaven. 
The only way that we can become free is if we're led by the Spirit and remain free is if we are led by the Spirit. We need to examine ourselves and look at the outside and see, and that will tell us what's going on on the inside. I love C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. To the inner cesspool. I need to be smelling myself out, sniffing myself out to see if there's a stench. Is there a stench of sin in my life? Is there a stench of the works of the flesh in my life? If there is, then I need to pray to God and ask him to remove it. Not work at removing it. Not work at removing it, but ask God by faith through love to remove it. And he'll, he'll tell you what to do. Lord, help me to be led by your spirit. Help me to be led by your spirit in this specific area because I'm struggling with it and I need your help. Will you forgive me? And then will you help me to move forward and not continue to do it? You know, and he'll direct you on that. He'll tell you what to do. We're not only to, are we to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit if we desire to remain free, but we also must yield the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. Against such things there, are, there is no law. Paul goes from speaking plurally about the works of the flesh to singularly speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the idea he just shifted from, he's, he's, he's paralleling, he's contrasting these things. He's saying works, works are things that are initiated by action. Fruit indicates trust. They're direct opposite of each other, polar opposites. Works, you have to do something. Fruit, you can't do anything to get it. You have to trust. Faith through love. That's the point. Listen, a fruit tree, how does it produce its harvest? Oh, I gotta get fruit out of myself right now. No. No. You know what it does? It trusts in the soil that it's planted in. If the soil doesn't give it the nutrients it needs, it's not producing fruit. It's 100% dependent on the soil that it's, that it's planted in. You're planted in Christ. You are rooted in Christ. You have the right soil around you. How do I produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in my life? I trust in the soil that I'm planted in. I don't try and work out fruit in my life. I trust in the soil to do that. That's the idea here. We just need to trust the Spirit. If we're walking by the Spirit, we're being led by the Spirit, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's that simple. Uh, he, he says here, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's single tense. And you've probably heard sermons on the fruits of the Spirit, you know, and they, spend, they call it the fruits, plural. It's not the fruits. It's the fruit. It's singular. It's singular, right? And the idea of it is that the, the, the very first one, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and you could put a period there because that is it. 
That, that is the whole fruit of the Spirit. It's love. And then love manifests itself in various different attributes. So it manifests itself in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, the, the, the concept is this then. If I need more joy in my life because I'm struggling with joy, what do I really need? Love. God, help me to love you more than this present circumstance that I'm enduring, and you'll have joy. If you're lacking self-control in your life and you're doing things that you don't want to do or the things that you want to do you're not doing, how do you get more self-control? Put rules, a bunch of rules in your life? No. What do you need? Love. God, help me to love you more than this thing that has control over me. I need more love. I don't need more spirit. I don't need more empowerment. I don't need any more of those things because I have those things already. I have, the Bible says, everything I need for, for life and godliness, right? I have everything already. I presently possess everything I need for life and godliness. So what, what is it in this moment that's causing me not to live in this attribute of love, of self-control? It's a lack of love in this area in my life. So I have to, I have to ask God to help me to love some specific way so that it'll produce this attribute of love, which is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What we do is we go on this pursuit of obtaining these fruits of the Spirit, and we're on the wrong journey. We, the one singular journey is love. It's a single journey. If you pursue love and you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you will look just like Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will produce this fruit, all kinds of fruit in your life, just like he did in Jesus' life. Jesus lived by the Spirit. He walked by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He produced the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what kind of love is he talking about? Agape love. Again, it is the idea of a selfless love that is not dependent on you. It is a decision. It's the same decision Christ made. He, he, he exhibited agape love when he went to the cross. While you were yet still sinners, Christ died. It was a decision he made, not based on what you were doing because you weren't doing the right thing, right? But it was based on what? what based on his love for you. David Guzik, he, he examines examined the works of the flesh in light of love, and he said the following. This is interesting because this has direct reflection on the works of the Spirit. It is a lack of love. Listen to this. It is also helpful to understand the works of the flesh in light of this love of the Spirit. Each one of the works of the flesh is a violation or a perversion of this great love. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness are counterfeits of love among people. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of, of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, and murders are all opposites of love. Idolatry and sorcery are counterfeits of love to God. Drunkenness and revelries are sad attempts to fill the void only love can fill. The works of the flesh, the reason why they're, the, the, the works of the flesh, the things that you do in the flesh, 
are a direct result of a lack of love. They're the direct opposite of love. Because self-love is, is hate, really. Self-love is hate. You care about no one else but yourself. That is not the kind of love that we are called to love with. It's not the kind of love that you are loved with. When love manifests itself fully, we see joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives. And Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Someone, I think there's, I think one of the Christmas songs, I couldn't remember which one it was, his law is love and his gospel, it's Oh Holy Night. So I just found that out. But, um, uh, you know, his law is love. We don't live by the law, but if you want to live by a law, live by the law of love. Because in the law of love comes the Christian life. It fulfills everything that Christ asks you to do. It will be a result of love. You need to pursue love. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the, produce the fruit of love in your life. You can't make it happen. But what you can do is surrender your whole self to God and say, help me to be burdened for the people that you're burdened with. God, help my heart to break for those things, you know, for those people that your heart breaks for, Lord. Help me to be excited, Lord, about the things that excite you. Help me, you know, and God will just begin to fill your life with these things. But it'll be all a result of what? Loving him. If you love God, with everything that you have, you will love his people and you will produce these, these attributes of love in your life. Plain and simple. You don't need more power. You don't need more restraint. You need more love. This brings us to our fourth and final point. If we want to remain free, we must live by the Spirit. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have fulfilled, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice the statement that Paul makes here is a profound one. Those who, listen, belong to Christ. Do you belong to Christ today? Is He your Lord? Literally, your King. He is your Master. You are His servant. Is he, do you belong to him today? If you do, here's what he said to you. You have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're crucified. Paul said it earlier in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have crucified the flesh. The idea is past tense in the sense that, yeah, when you came to Christ, you died. But there's a real, very real, again, that's positionally, but there's a very real sense of crucifying yourself daily against the passions and the desires of the flesh because they're real. And that war wage is just raging on within you. So what do you have to do? Crucify yourself. How do I crucify myself? <laughs> you go to Christ and you say, Lord, crucify me. Help me. Jesus said it like this. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You've got to crucify yourself. You have to, 
you have to die and you have to stay dead, right? Your flesh I'm speaking of. Christ made you alive, but you in your fleshliness have to die and stay dead. Don't resurrect the old guy. And the way that you resurrect the old guy is you give in to desires and passions, and now you have a, a huge war on your hands. So don't give in to those things. Stay crucified. Stay dead in Christ. And, and he will live through you. We, 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 this is not a result of works to be crucified. We must we muster up more strength to lay down, our, lay down our lives. No, we literally die and allow the Spirit to live through us. That's how it works. We don't muster it up. We let the Spirit work through us. Now, that's what it means to live by Christ. He goes on here and he says, if we live by Christ, again, it's a condition. Are you or are you not? It's a question. Are you? Are you living by Christ? Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we're living by the Spirit, then we will be in step with the Spirit. You know, you're saying, I just don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Are you living by the Spirit? Because this says to me that if I'm living by the Spirit, I'm going to be in step with the Spirit. I'm going to be in sync with Him. I'm going to be walking right with Him. He's going to be leading me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know where we're going. He's going to say, hey, just trust me. We're going this way. Okay, let's do this. But you're going to be in step with Him. You ever been out of step with your spouse? You ever been out of step with some, some person in your relationship? You know, it, dude, it sucks. It's like, man, we're really out of step. Well, what do we do? Leave the relationship that way? No, we get back in step. How do I get back in step? I don't know. Probably try be nice to your wife. Maybe she, that would help you, maybe. I don't know. But love her. Like Christ loved the church, maybe. Um, so he's telling us here, if we want to live by this flesh, if we are living by the, by the Spirit, I'm sorry, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then Paul gets personal with these guys in, in the church in Galatia, and he says, Look, I want to point out three things that you guys are struggling with. That I, that, listen, you're conceited, you're provoking one another, and you're envious of each other. That's all flesh, man. Listen, we can become conceited in our walk with the Lord and we can become very prideful about who we are in Christ. And, and I often like to remind myself, I didn't do anything to become who I am. I did nothing but trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit has shaped and changed. And so it's Him. If you see anything good in my life, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, right? See anything good in your life, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit, right? If you have incredible gifts and God's using you, um, then you know what? Hey, praise God, right? Not you. Praise God that he's working through you in that way. But let us never become conceited. These, these guys were conceited in their walk with the Lord. Not only that, but they were provoking one another. They, they were literally, this creates division within the body of Christ. You're provoking one another. Like literally, the idea is to jab, you know, like a, like a, a cattle with the prod kind of thing. You're provoking one another. And what does that do? It creates dissension and division. Why are you guys doing that? Why, why are you provoking one another? Don't do that. And lastly, he says, don't be envious. And you know what? I, I would say that that's a huge problem in the church today. I'm envious of that person and what God's doing in that person's life. Look at me. I'm going through all this stuff, and that person's always getting blessed. Man, how come, Lord, I, I wish you would 
you know, smite that. I wish they would you start praying against them. They're not, they didn't do anything. They're just living their life out, having the joy of the Lord in their life, and you're mad at them because they have the joy of the Lord in their life, but you have no idea what they're going through. That's the funny thing about envy is that it's a perception that might not be truthful at all. You know, keep your eyes on Jesus, not other people, because other people paint pictures, right? But Christ always paints the true picture. And he'll be honest with you. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Listen, if you want to remain free in Christ, you have to walk in the Spirit. You've got to be led by the Spirit. You need to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and you need to live by the Spirit. And in so doing, you will remain free. That is the point of the gospel. If you want to get to that place where, you know, the, the end of the gospel is blessed self-forgetfulness, this is how you do it. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's not through anything that your flesh can do. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness in our lives and for just speaking to us through this passage, Lord. I just thank you for um, allowing us the privilege to come and to hear, Lord, by your spirit what it is that we're called to do and to be, um, in order to be successful in our walk with you. And uh, we know that you've laid out many, many things for us today, Lord, four specific things that have really nothing to do with us in and of ourselves, but have everything to do with who we're trusting. And so today, Lord, I, I just want to lift up a prayer for my brothers and sisters in this place today, God, that um, you would have spoken directly to us in, our, in areas of our life where we're not trusting the Holy Spirit, where we've not given uh, full power to the Holy Spirit. To, to reign free in our lives. So we just ask you, Lord, even right now, convict our hearts. If we're trying to reach you by some means of our own works of the flesh, that you would help us to crucify it today, that you, we would help us to lay down those things before you, God, and that we would begin to just live out our Christian life by faith through love. By faith through love, Lord, not a work of our flesh at all, the works will come as a result of us trusting in you today. I just pray for any person here today, Lord, that is in that place that needs, you know, uh, some attribute of love in their life. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Lord. That you would fill them with the, with the kind of love that they need in order to satisfy that longing or temptation or whatever it is, God. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit being here today, Lord. We just ask for you to fall on us now and help us to apply what we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close, the altar's always open. There's people to pray for you up here. And listen, if God's spoken to you, come lay it down. Come, come before the altar and just lay it down, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.